Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. Praise the Lord for our Father, who is awesome. A couple of announcements. We uh, will be starting up the creche in a couple weeks, God willing. We're uh, still working on that and getting it all organized, but hopefully good to go and just a blessing for everyone. Opportunity to serve as well, so if you would like to pitch in with that, see Trudy. Um, also, following the message today, we're going to have a time of communion. So for any Christian, any believer who's born again, that's an opportunity for you to receive of the bread and the cup and to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So in obedience to him, we do that once a month. So uh, everyone's invited to do that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for a beautiful day. Thank you that you are our awesome Father, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And thank you for the promises that you've given us and your word that is true and uh, the gospel that transforms us and changes us more into your image. And thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for the joy that you've put in our hearts and the peace that passes understanding and the plans that you have for us, Lord, the promises that we know will come to pass, that we have assurance of salvation through faith in Jesus. And thank you that you, you continue to use us and draw us near to yourself to speak to us. And you keep changing us. You keep working. And thank you, Lord, that uh, even when we don't feel it, you are at hand. You are a God afar off. You are, you are God everywhere over all things. And we exalt you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be in Genesis chapter 21, if you'll turn there. When I hear a product, like a product that I already have is new and improved, I'm a little skeptical about that. How about you? I'm like, hmm. It could be a marketing ploy. Uh, like if I find a sauce or an item or a tool that I like, and I've, I've chosen it out of all the other tools, like I want it to stay the same. I, I'm not really impressed by saying it's new and improved because first of all, it's not new. It's just a revision of what was preferred. And just because it's new doesn't mean it's an improvement. It may be an improvement to your bottom line because you've replaced uh, steel or aluminum with plastic, but it's not necessarily improved for me. It could be more disposable now. Um, so new and improved, they might be better for the company or for some reason, but not necessarily for me. And when Jesus came to seek and save sinners, he made a new and living way to approach God, to have a relationship with God. And for those who are born again, we have been made new creations through faith in Jesus. By the gospel, we are made new, not just better versions of ourselves, not just an improvement. We have been changed because of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And saying that the gospel is an improvement to the law of Moses, that is a gross understatement because it was previously impossible for all sinners to have assurance of forgiveness and salvation by grace through faith in Christ. This is a new thing that God has done, not just a revision of the old, something totally new, a new and living way that Jesus has ushered in that we can enjoy that relationship with God right now by his presence. Though we're new creations, guess what? We still live in these same bodies that are getting older, that think a certain way, that have habits, that have a history. And one of the causes of our struggles is we neglect to put off the old man, the old way of thinking and doing, and we have, so we cannot, put, we cannot walk in the new man according to the Holy Spirit as God intends. So we must humble ourselves. It's like you have to uproot the weeds before the good grass is going to grow. There must be a clearing out of the sin and a repentance before we can actually enter into that abundant life through faith in Christ. And in this passage today with Ishmael and Isaac, it's really a good example of this because having been called by Christ, we are to heed him. We are to obey him. And if this new and living way that God has provided us ever seems old or it needs improvement, know that it's we who need renewal. We need that revival that only the Holy Spirit can bring. So let's begin in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. 
For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. God is faithful to keep his word. Previously, Abraham and Sarah, they deceived Abimelech saying that they were, oh, he's my brother, she's my sister. When they were really spouses, they were married to each other. But God's promise did not depend upon their perfection. God would bring his word to pass. And in her old age, at 90 years of age, Sarah bears a son. Romans 4.19, it explains that this was a miraculous act. It wasn't just uh, an anomaly or it was a miracle because their reproductive abilities were both described as dead. And it's unheard of for the dead to sire or to conceive children. Right, that's not possible. But though they were dead in their flesh, their reproductive systems, the Lord quickened them and they had this son, Isaac, at the right time. In their old age, not when they were expecting it. It was fulfilled because of who God is and what he had promised. Now the faith of Abraham, it's demonstrated in calling his son, Isaac. Now notice, Abraham called his son, Isaac. He did not name him. We choose a name often, like Laura and I, when we were, she was with child, we considered like male and female names, like what would be a good name? And we think about what it means and we're having discussions, but uh, Abraham did not have those discussions because God said his name is, I've already named him. And so he called him according to the name God said. Remember, years earlier when God affirmed that Sarah would bear a son, Abraham felt it unnecessary. He pleaded with God, oh, that Ishmael would live before you. But Genesis 17, 19, it records God's answer. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So this was a miracle that God did. And the naming of Isaac that covenant established was God's doing. God did this. And so it is for everyone who has a child. That that is a work of God. But here it was a miraculous work of God. Genesis 21 verse four, then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Abraham calls his son Isaac, and then he circumcised him the eighth day according to the command of God. We see the faith of Abraham here in his obedience to God. In Genesis 17, God explained the the, uh, purpose of circumcision, the sign that it would be the token of the covenant that he had made with Abraham and his descendants after him. It was, it was a sign that they had voluntarily, so they knew about God, they believed God, and voluntarily entered into that covenant by circumcision. And so on the day God commanded him to do this, like back in the day with Ishmael when he was 13, they did it on the day, and now with his descendant on the eighth day. And it's really a big step because historically, the, uh, among the Hebrews, it was something that they neglected to do. Even Moses, remember when he was called to um, call, bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, he had not circumcised one of his own sons and the Lord met him in the way. And maybe that was due to how abhorrent or strange the practice seemed to his wife. And we see later that many Hebrews born in the land of Egypt and those even in the wilderness were not circumcised. And there were, poor, there were times, so there were large There were periods of time where people just neglected it. They ignored his command. But so we see the faith of Abraham shown here in his obedience to God. And then Sarah says, God has made me to laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. Remember that the name Isaac means laughter. And God said, that's what you will call him. And her laughter went from scoffing and going, yeah, right. I'm going to have a kid in my old age to Look at what God has done. Can you believe it? Who would have thought this? Who but God could have imagined such a thing that I would have a children at this age? Who would have dreamed it except the God who does it? 
This is the same God who birthed the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. This never happened before that a whole people who were enslaved upon exiting without a land that they had called their own yet. They were a nation because God did it. It's God who parted the Red Sea and allowed them to walk through on dry ground and preserve them when the enemies were pursuing them in chariots and horses. This is the God who caused a virgin to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and brought forth Jesus Christ. This is the God who sent his only son to raise the dead to life, to heal paralytics, to open the eyes of the blind, to reattach the severed ear with his hand, just put it back on. Who could even think that that would be possible except God who creates all things and gives us life. Ours is the God who calls a fisherman, a tax collector, and a self-righteous Pharisee to be an apostle to be one whom he sent out to Jew and Gentile so all can be saved and brought to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, God's works, so great, so marvelous, beyond comprehension, and let's not allow them to get old or mundane to us and go, oh yeah, she had a kid. <laughs> uh, yeah, God delivered his people. But <laughs> Apply that to your own life. Consider, God delivers, God saves, God hears prayers. He also has plans that he will bring to pass in his time, even, that, even the ones that seem completely impossible. He gives us joy for mourning and beauty for ashes. Continuing in verse 8, So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, who, had, who she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I also will make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. After his birth, Isaac grew. He was weaned. That means he's no longer just drinking milk. He's eating solid food. And it was a big cause of celebration. Uh, uh, you know, they have these birth announcements these days. What about weaning ceremony? You know, like some sort of like, our child is weaned. Yes, right on. He's eating solid food. That, that could be the next thing. Who knows? So it's a significant milestone. It's like there was a lot of, uh, like life was very uncertain, especially when a child was extremely young. And as they're getting older and growing, it's like, hey, celebrating this milestone of being weaned. So there's this great feast, but the festive mood was diminished for Sarah because she sees Ishmael mocking and making fun of Isaac. And she's like, this is not on. Notice it doesn't even say his name. The son of this bondwoman. You can hear the, the angst there. Like, this is not okay. This is not going to work. The son of the other woman mocking the child that God has given me, that God promised. Through, he is your heir. And there's this other woman's child mocking him. Ishmael at that time, because Abraham had two sons, he was about 16 or 17 years of age, of the Egyptian slave Hagar, who Sarah had given to Abraham at one stage, and then Isaac, who was born of Sarah and Abraham's true heir. And so after seeing this, she minced no words, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son. Was Abraham happy with this? No. He, he, had, he, was, he thought it was a terrible idea. An awful suggestion. Send away my own flesh and blood? Send my son away? No. He was displeased by this. He hated this idea of sending away the son that he loved. This word cast out, it means to drive away. The Hebrew, the root meaning to dismiss, divorce, evict, or expel. There's a sense of permanence to it. It's like, you know, evict him. Send him away. Divorce yourself from him. Put him out of your life. And he hated that thought. And while he's wrestling with it, he's got his wife telling him one thing. He's feeling another thing. God speaks to him. And praise the Lord, the Lord does this. 
God spoke to Abraham and he said, don't be displeased about your son or the maidservant. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Now, Abraham had listened to Sarah when she said, go into my handmaid and maybe I'll have a child by her. But now God is saying, listen to her. She's right. Ishmael is not your heir. Isaac is your heir. And it would be one thing if Sarah had said, you know, I wish I had never said that to you, to go into Hagar. But she's saying now, send him away. And that was hard. That was very hard for him to process. He hoped maybe that these two sons would grow up together and live peaceably. But because of Ishmael's independent and combative personality, Sarah's loyal protection of her son, and God's promise, the covenant that God had made, it made it impossible. They could not dwell together anymore. There was no reconciliation possible between the son of Hagar and the mother of Isaac. It was just not going to happen. Abraham didn't like it, but God said, Sarah's right. You need to listen to her. But I will make a great nation out of Ishmael because he is your son. Now in the book of Galatians, Paul had written to the church that had departed from the simplicity of the gospel, the covenant, the new covenant by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And they had resorted to vain attempts to keep the law as a measure of righteousness. So they, instead of, they had come to God by grace through faith and then went on thinking they had to earn God's favor and his forgiveness. And Paul used this situation in Genesis 21 as an allegory between them. And he said, notice the treatment of Ishmael and Isaac. That Ishmael was the son of a slave, a son of a bondwoman after the flesh. And that Isaac was the son of the free woman according to God's promise. And just like Ishmael and Isaac could not both be heirs, it's kind of like if a king is the king he, and he has a son, it's going to pass to one of his sons. Not two sons can co-king, right? There's one king, there's one heir, there's one line. And so it was impossible that he could have two heirs and it was by faith. So it's impossible to keep the letter of the law believing that it makes us righteous when the new covenant is, by, is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus alone. That our righteousness is from him, not by works of trying to keep the law. John 1.17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Abraham, he's praying that Ishmael would be acceptable, right, at the beginning. Oh, that Ishmael would live before you. Oh, that the works of my flesh would make me good in your sight. God's like, no. It's by the promise. It's by the grace of God. It's by the gospel that we are saved. We can only get approval by God's grace because in us dwells no good thing. So trying to keep the law as a measure of righteousness or trying to earn God's blessing and receiving God's promise These are opposite to each other. They cannot cohabitate nicely. We must choose Christ. We must choose his way through the gospel. That's the only viable way for eternal life is through Christ. Now, Abraham, he feels this strong sense of obligation to his firstborn son, right? Ishmael. Oh, it's only God's power and wisdom that could free him from this feeling of obligation, And Jews in the early church, we see that they had this tendency towards legalism, a returning to the law as a measure of righteousness, which in essence, legalism adds to the gospel. It says, you must believe in Christ to be saved, yes, but you also must be circumcised. You must keep the Sabbath. You must be baptized to be saved, to be righteous in God's sight. It's because of what you do, not because of what Jesus has done. I was thinking, some of us in this room, we've come out of a legalistic background, a religious approach to God ordered by tradition. And there's also some of us that have come from an atheistic, um, I guess a, uh, a mindset independent of God, a, a lifestyle that you could justify living as God, living to please yourself. So we don't share that in common, but one thing we do share in common is regardless of our background, we all live in a body of flesh. 
We live in a body of flesh that has its own desires and ambitions, loves and hates. And after being born again, we still have a mind that is bent towards sin, a body that has lusts and desires, pride that rises up, selfishness, right? This is part of us. It's part of who we are in the body, but now we've been made new. And there's this conflict within us, a supernatural conflict that's being played out daily between the works of our flesh and gospel truth. And so instead of being obligated or bound to our body, to do what it demands, we now are called and enabled to be led by the Spirit to choose Him. But it's a choice we must make by humbling ourselves in obedience before Him. So instead of following our hearts, we follow Christ. Instead of the fear of man, it's the fear of God that moves us. There are changes that God wants to make in your life and in mine that will displease our flesh. Where He says, get rid of that. Move away from this. And part of us is like, well, no, that's not a good idea at all. I see that as being very beneficial to me. But this is God speaking. It can only be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the, the, this abundant life that Jesus gives is found, is through faith in him marked by obedience. So whatever Jesus tells us to do, like Mary said, do whatever he says. Do what Jesus says. Follow his example. And we see Abraham do that in verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water and the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him, lifted her voice and wept. Abraham heard from God and he obeyed what God told him to do. He rose early in the morning. He took bread. He filled the skin with water. He laid it on Hagar's shoulder and then he left the hardest part for last. It says he gave his boy to Hagar and he sent them away. Difficult parting. It's like he's giving part of himself away. It was made possible only by faith in God. That was the only way that he could have possibly done this. He never considered sending his son Ishmael away. And suddenly Ishmael, he's gone from living like a prince in the house of Abraham to being homeless without a, without a dad and looking for a place to stay. Yet they weren't alone because God would be with them. Now one thing's for certain and praise the Lord for this, that when we act in obedience to God, it may be hard, but it is for the best and will not be regretted. You will never regret being obedient to God, even when, it's hurt, when it hurts and when it's hard. Because it's God talking and he knows what you need. He knows how to meet that need. Your need as like Abraham, where he is, and also Hagar and Ishmael, wherever they were going. Because he didn't even know. Isn't it hard not knowing sometimes? Just not knowing what's going on with someone else and you're concerned about them? God's able to meet that need because we know him. Hagar took her son. It says they wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, that they weren't going in any particular direction. In time, the water was used up in that arid environment. He is faint and Ishmael is... She placed him under one of the shrubs. And this word is really gentle in comparison to the King James because the rendering is, and the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And that word cast, like Sarah had said, cast out the bondwoman and her son, you know, divide yourself, expel them. This word it, in the Hebrew, it's to throw, to fling or cast away. So it's like she cast him. She kind of chucked him down under a bush and then walked away from him. She was troubled. Let's not forget that as well. She had been divorced on that day. She had now been cast out. She had been sent away. She thought her son was dying. That privileged position and the security and care that she was accustomed to it was gone. And am I going to lose my son as well? Now I have no water. I have no home. I have no place to go. 
They had been cast out and now they were cast down. And she's like, I don't even want to be close to him. It says that she sat down a distance where she could be about a bow shot away. And conservatively, a bow could shoot 200 meters plus. So she went a distance away from him. So she didn't want to see him die. She didn't want to hear him. And likely she didn't want to, him to hear her crying. And so she went quite a distance away from him and wept. It's really a scene. It's a picture of what happens when we forget God. Because this isn't Hagar's first time in the wilderness. This isn't her first time in the desert. After she fell pregnant, remember, she ran away from Sarah because Sarah dealt with her harshly. And as she was by a well, it says the angel of the Lord met with her and said, you know, what are you doing out here? Hagar, Sarah's maid, return to your mistress and submit to her hand and gave her a promise that she would have a son. It says in Genesis 16, 10 through 11, then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. So she believed the word of the Lord when he spoke to her and obedience, she went back to Sarah. She ended up having Ishmael who's now with her as a youth. And we know that she, she spoke of this to Abraham because it says he called his name Ishmael. So she communicated what God had spoke to her previously. And yet, though God had promised to make of him a great nation, remember he hadn't been born yet the first time, but now he's born, he's there. She forgot about what God had said because they had no water, because they had been sent out, because of the, the difficulty of the situation. And so she's not looking to God and she's not even looking to her son. He's cast under a bush and she goes and weeps. It's like she gives up hope. She's overwhelmed. She feels helpless. And she's given up hope instead of clinging to God and his promise. Do you see a little of yourself in Hagar when things are difficult? Where we, we don't remember what God has said. We're not looking to God. We're just, we just have a sick son the hot sun that we're under, and we've got this dry water skin. And we're like, what do we do? We have a tendency to be overwhelmed and troubled. We forget what God has said. We don't think about how he met us in the past. We don't think about how he helped us, how he directed us, and how his word had come true previously. Now, some have felt this loneliness for a few moments, others for years, some all their lives. But praise the Lord, he speaks to us and he calls out to us. He calls us by name. Verse 17, and God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Previously, God met Hagar by a well of water. Now he calls out to Hagar by name. He says, Hagar, you're not looking for me, but I hear the voice of your son, the voice that you're not hearing right now because you're distant from him, but I hear, I hear him and I'm calling out to you. What ails you, Hagar? I, when I hear that, I hear it like spoken through a smile. What ails you? Because this is God. He has help for her. There is hope for her in him. If God was to ask you, what ails you? What's wrong? What's the matter? How would you answer him? A lot of times, we're troubled about what has happened, what is happening, or what might happen. Those are the things that trouble us a lot. 
But God was not troubled, and he did not despise her tears. He heard her. He called out to her. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to, la- to dance. And the word of God then would ease her fear. Because look, it says, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. And this is such a good illustration. I read this recently in Jeremiah 23, 23, and 24. God said, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? The context of this statement is in light of false prophets. There were, Jeremiah is speaking the truth. No one's listening to him. But there's a lot of false prophets that are causing the people to believe in lies. And he's troubled by it. And I love how, how God, well, we have this idea that God, by definition, must be far off. He's somewhere else rather than where we are, but God puts it in the opposite. He says, I am a God at hand. Because I am a God at hand, aren't I also a God afar off? I love that. So it's like, I'm with you as the basis, but I'm also with them. I know what's being said. I know what's happening. Wherever you are, God is always at hand. He is always with you. He was with Abraham when he was grieving. We don't read about that here, but he, was, he wasn't joyful to do what he had to do. And maybe that's a bit of projection because I know I wouldn't be happy at that time. But Ishmael and Hagar, God was with them too. And we can worry and wonder about the needs of others being met and forget that God's with them even as he's with us. And he hears us and he hears them. No matter where you are, God is at hand. Glory to God. And he said, don't be afraid. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand and I will make him a great nation. So he says, get up, arise, lift up your son, hold him close, hold him in your arms. You've been cast out. You've cast him down under a shrub, but go to him. You have no hope for survival, but in me, your needs will be met. I'm going to make of him a great nation. Her fears ease. She could dry her tears. She could walk by faith in the living God who would be faithful to his word. And then get this. It says, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. The way this is written, it's like the well of water was there all the time. But she just didn't see it. She didn't realize it was there. It's ironic, right? The water runs out. She's faint. She's cast him under a shrub. She separates himself from him. And where she goes, there's actually just a well of water right there. She has no idea. She's crying her eyes out. She doesn't notice that there's a well of water there. And God opened her eyes to see that it was there and provided for their needs. The water was at hand, though she was unable to see it. It was right there. And we go, oh no, can you imagine? Your son dies of thirst, and there was a, you find out later there was a well of water like right here. There was all he needed for survival at hand, but I just didn't see it. And blame yourself. But now they could praise God because he opened her eyes to see what was there and what he had provided already to quench their thirst. So in God's wisdom, he revealed himself to be her help when she was helpless. Her eyes were opened. When she lamented their lack of water, her eyes were open to see it was God she needed more than water because he had promised and would be faithful to perform it. They needed God for survival more than water and the same is true for us. We need him. We need him to open our eyes to see and to lead us to that living water that's found in Jesus Christ alone. So Hagar, she takes courage in God who saw and heard her affliction. And that's what Ishmael means. She was to name her son that because it's like God's heard you. God sees you. She called his, her, her son's name Ishmael every day, but she forgot when it was hot and when she was troubled. But God reminded her. And he didn't begrudge her. He gave her all she needed. He's like, I hear the voice of your son. So she fills the skin with water. She goes to Ishmael. She gives him a drink. And it says, so God was with the lad. God was faithful to his word. He was with him. Said he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. So wherever he was, I don't know where he lived in the wilderness, but God was with him. 
He become an archer, and his his mother Hagar took a wife for him from her people because she was from Egypt originally. So in this helpless situation, in this terrible time of being separated from, well, I guess the comforts and security they had previously enjoyed, now they find that God is with them. God has kept his promise to them. God heard them. So this child that Hagar thought would die of thirst was saved, grew to adulthood, was married, and God made of him a great nation because God is good and keeps his promises. Now, the, the almighty God that was at hand for Hagar and Ishmael and Jeremiah was a God afar off in terms of Joseph of Bethlehem. Joseph was betrothed to Mary, and so they were legally married but not yet living together. And during that period when they weren't dwelling together, Mary falls pregnant. Now, Joseph was very troubled by this. Because his thoughts were, how do I divorce her without publicly shaming and humiliating her, ruining her chance at a marriage, um, perhaps being ostracized from the Jewish community, trying to avoid that. And the penalty for adultery under the law in Deuteronomy 22 was death. So he's concerned. He's feeling like, you know, she's been unfaithful to me. She's been unfaithful to God and our marriage. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 1, 20 through 23. We'll see that while he's wrestling, God is speaking. We see that consistent in the Bible, where in the midst of our struggles, God is not silent. He speaks and he gives us wisdom. Matthew 1, starting in verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So the God of Abraham afar off was at hand for Joseph. And he spoke to him while he wrestled about these things to ease his fears. said, don't be afraid of what's happening right now. Don't be afraid to take Mary as wife because the child conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, the promised Messiah. Very few, if any, believed that Mary was still a virgin because she was pregnant. I mean, come on. <laughs> How is that possible? Let's be honest here. But Joseph obeyed God. He believed God. And he took her as wife. That, that name, Jesus, Yeshua, means the Lord saves. God saves. And it was fulfilling the word that was spoken before. So hundreds of years before, there was a word spoken. God had spoken on this very subject. God with us, Emmanuel, would be born. And it was being fulfilled in his life. So to a Jewish nation who honored God with their lips, but their heart was far from him, Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind so they could see. Those who were languishing under dry religion and the oppressive traditions of men, Jesus came to provide living water of the Holy Spirit to all who believe in him. It's like by grace and faith, Jesus has made a new and living way to approach God that was impossible before. He is with us, and God is in us with the Holy Spirit. So God is at hand. God is afar off. And he's made a way of fellowship. And it's like only Jesus. He can quench our fears, our worries. Only he can wash us clean of our sin. Only by faith in Christ do we find comfort and rest for our souls as he holds us close. And he lifts us up. And we find rest and comfort for our souls in a dry and weary land. So we can really identify with Hagar here because Jesus has supplied that living water that we need. And he opens our eyes to see our need and to respond in obedience to him in faith. 
If you can drink deeply from all the world has to offer you and you will end up being empty. You will be alone and lost. But all who look to Christ, you will find refreshment, healing, righteousness, forgiveness, fullness of joy, the light of life. So the first Sunday of every month, we do observe communion together. Uh, the Last Supper, the, the Lord's Supper, according to his command. On the night Jesus was betrayed, it says he took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And this was during the Passover meal. And after the meal, Jesus took the cup. And after he drank from it, he passed it around and said, this is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. In receiving communion, we really are looking back and we're looking ahead at the same time because we're proclaiming the Lord's death, his death on Calvary, his crucifixion, his suffering, that he, the sins of the world were placed upon him, but it also looks ahead to his return, that he rose from the dead. He is alive and ascended to the Father and he is coming. So we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes and that his death is a demonstration of his love for lost sinners, that we could be reconciled to God and be born again. Paul said, following this passage, that we need to examine ourselves inside and out to ensure that we eat and drink in a worthy manner. Now, none of us are worthy to be partakers of God's grace and of his spirit, but by grace we receive. But we are to examine ourselves it says in 1 Corinthians 11, 26 through 29, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So when we eat of the bread or the cup, it does nothing to cleanse us of guilt or sin. It does nothing to purify us at all. It's simply an outward token of the obedience to Christ that we acknowledge we have been born again. We have been saved by grace through faith and the gospel. And that we, his life is now ours by grace. Now we're called to confess our sin. We're called to repent. It's only Jesus who makes us worthy to identify with him. So we're invited, we are encouraged to partake as one in faith and obedience to him, not to appear pious before people. Now, it would be so foolish to choose to not to partake of communion because we're afraid of judgment when God has provided the only means of forgiveness through his shed blood, right? That would be hypocrisy because on one hand, we're disobeying that command to to receive it where we are to receive it, but out of fear of judgment when Jesus came to forgive us. Let's turn to him. Let us repent. Let's humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord as Jesus humbled himself to the glory of God who is at hand, who knows all things. So praise God for this new and living way that he's made for us to draw near to him with this full assurance of faith to be accepted by God, to receive his salvation and eternal life by grace through faith. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up and they will lead us in a song. And as they do, let us, uh, let us examine ourselves. Yes, let us uh, rejoice in our Savior, proclaiming his death till he comes because he's a living God. He is an awesome God who desires we repent to receive of his salvation and forgiveness. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your searching eyes, how you, you look upon all people, that your eyes go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show, your, show yourself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards you. Lord, I pray you would find in us that loyal heart, that heart of love and faith that you have put in us, when we were born again, clean and pure in your sight, made righteous by grace through faith. 
thank you, Lord, for the gospel, and thank you for Jesus who comes to refresh us, who, brings, who opens our eyes and brings us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And I thank you that we can do this together, Lord, that you've made us one in Christ, uh, brothers and sisters in Jesus, and through, through the gospel, we have been born again, and we have a new life. And I pray, Lord, you would forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have uh, sinned against us. And Lord, truly, all sin is against you. And so, Lord, we confess our need for forgiveness. We confess our need to change and be more like you. And we want to honor you, Lord, by walking in obedience to you by faith. So I pray, Lord, you would search our hearts and our minds and you would do that, that restoring work that we need. That if we are like Hagar, who are lamenting our case, who are worried and afraid, that you would, you would cause us to hear your voice and to look to you. Because Jesus cried out and said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Lord, help us to know that we are thirsty, that you're the only one who can meet our needs, and that all of our needs are found abundantly supplied in you. So we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for this time. Be glorified and honored as we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we truly are in awe of what you have accomplished through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And thank you that his body was broken for us, and that his blood was shed so that we could be cleansed from our sins, that we could have new life through his death. And thank you for his resurrection, that he showed his power to forgive sins and to provide eternal life to all who trust in him. Lord, we are so blessed. We are so privileged to be numbered among your people, to be adopted as your children, to be reconciled and redeemed, to be called and chosen, to be the accepted and the beloved, those who were far off from you, those who were aliens of the commonwealth of the kingdom of God. You have brought us near by your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel, and thank you that we can celebrate Jesus, that we can celebrate our Savior who has, by his broken body, made us whole, and by his blood being shed, has refreshed us, and that living water can now flow in and through our lives and reach others who are lost and dead in trespasses and sins. So we thank you, Lord, for your power. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel. I pray we'd never forget what you've promised. We'd never stop believing you, and that we'd look to you now with rejoicing and eyes of faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.